enough time for us to talk money and uh, some of the financial red flags you should be spotting and addressing in your relationship. It is the month of love. And while it can all be about romance and gifts, it can also be about the tough conversations and some of the things actually we'd really rather not talk about because they're not romantic but we should talk about because they're important joined on the line as always by our resident certified financial planner paul ruler sir paul as always good to have you on the show a very good morning to you good morning Gugu. good to speak to you again yes so we're talking about financial red flags but the ones that happen or that we should be uh taking note of in relationships what are some of these financial red flags well uh, you know just to coin a phrase um, life is like a box of chocolates i think that came from a, an old movie which i can't a forest gump i think it was yes it was but, um, <laughs> uh, and i think uh, in this context uh, life is more than just a box of chocolates because you, you know, it's it's not just about the fuzziness. You know, we've, we're off the back of um, Valentine's Day. We've obviously pampered each other in terms of our relationships. Um, but it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? Um, when you really want to solidify your relationship, it's got to be built on trust, transparency. And especially when spouses get together over their finances, there must be this clarity that I know exactly where I am or as much as I care to know. Um, is is there on the table. You know, Agugu, in all the years, we as financial planners encourage spouses to get together on the plan. It shouldn't be a one-sided affair where perhaps the breadwinner, you know, sets up the plan on behalf of the spouse and, um, you know, runs the plan accordingly. The life insurance and the retirement annuities and all the investments are all decided upon by the one person. And um, then should something happen to that person it's only then that the spouse realizes well what have i actually got in terms of provisions and um we as financial planners don't want to be the you know make that the first time we're introduced to you um because you know so and so is gone um it, it should be an engagement between us all the time right through the financial planning process into the future so we always try and bring both people into the into the equation so that uh, we all understand what is there for us in the event of a life-changing event. So coming back to it, it's it's essential, it's imperative that um, partners are fully transparent and they fully lay down where they are financially um, between each other. Yeah, and that's not just when planning an estate. So if we're planning on combining assets or, you know, if there's kids involved, these are the kinds of conversations you need to be having, I guess, at any point when the relationship is serious. Um, You know, where are you financially? What are your um, commitments, obligations, particularly around debt? Uh, But also, what are your, I guess, financial goals? Because even that determines whether or not you're aligned. Maybe your plan is to buy a house, but maybe their plan is they never want to buy a house. They want to rent and use the money for other things like travel or maybe, you know, go get a, a degree, which can often cost as much as, you know, uh, you know, can be hugely expensive. So it's not even these conversations aren't just for people who are married. Um, it sounds as if they're people who are in any kind of committed relationship. You should be having these conversations. 
Oh, most certainly. Uh, you know, there are um, must-have goals um, in a financial plan, which a lot of people don't really understand or, or are aware of. And um, the financial plan will walk you through those. And what I allude to are those safety nets that have to be there in the first instance. You know, if there's a dependency on each other in terms of financial needs, um, you know, there's an outstanding bond on the property and we haven't got the resources to settle it in the event of a death. Um, there has to be a, a, a must-have provision there. Not generally, that's life insurance. So um, understanding the must-haves uh, is essential. But then after those must-haves, such as life insurance and disability provisions and future retirement provisions and short-term um, savings for education and things like that, once those are all set up, then we go to the what do you want? What are your wants and needs? And uh, coming back to your very valid point, um, there we have to express ourselves. You know, if I, if I need some extras now because I want to extend my education or I you know, want to travel a little further um, or better, um, you know, those are built in after the, we settle the plan in terms of what has to be there first. And um, it's an expression and it's something that the relationship should you know, respect and understand and work towards. Um, but I suppose there too is, is where certain problems will come out because maybe, you know, you want to spend your money on travel and I want to spend my money on education and uh, the, the resources are limited at, the point, at that point. And that's where an agreement or some kind of compromise needs to come to the fore. So again, it's, it's transparency and, and understanding exactly what we have relative to what we want. And how much, you know, in a relationship, I guess, there's also different uh, appetites or um, tolerance for risk, uh, for debt. In a relationship, what is the ideal? Um, is it a red flag, for instance, if a partner says to you, look, I'd like to get something uh, using debt, maybe it is a car, I don't qualify for the thing I want, would you be willing to co-sign um, that loan agreement or that debt agreement for me? Is that an example? Is that always a red flag? Or is the answer that depends? Because that often comes up a lot in relationships. Um, mm. You know, debt, how we treat debt. Um, should we be helping partners with their debt and financial obligations? What is the best thing? Well, again, I, I, again, it's an agreement, isn't it? It's an understanding and it's working towards that specific goal. You know, if, if we need a car, um, well, what type of car should we be buying? One, one that we agree that is affordable. Um, it's not going to be reckless spending because I like it and I want it and I, I need it and I deserve it. Again, you know, and that it will then sacrifice um, the resources that are, especially if you, you, you're trying to get through a budget and you don't have adequate resources for a, a particular car that you want. Um, the responsible thing to do between partners is then buy down, scale down and, and agree on a, 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 a smaller car that we perhaps can easily afford and it won't jeopardize our financial future as well. But there again, those are, those are things that um, are nice to have once we've settled all the must-haves. And that's so essential. Once we've got the peace of mind that all the, the safety nets are in our plan for the, the provisions of a life-changing event, and we've got some extras now. How do we allocate that for the future? And um, I suppose coming back to a car, um, quite often we, you know, we have that sort of appetite for that great car that we don't quite 
um, afford. Um, and uh, we want to be seen in it. We, we deserve it. We feel that it's it's part of our you know our financial future. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, we're going to struggle paying for it. I guess there's kind of the kind of sensibility that has to be understood between the partners before we push that button. But coming back to it, I, I think it's, again, just a question of understanding you know, the impact of it. Um, you mentioned a, a very uh, important point about risk and risk on, on, on investments is a very interesting one because um, people automatically think that I must just take some risk and then I'll get better returns. Um, that's not really the case. Um, they might be taking those extra risks because they need those better returns to get that money that they want. But the understanding of risk and return comes down to the fact that you must then be prepared to or understand that you could lose a lot of money in an attempt to get risk. And we find mostly, um, you know, between couples, that's why the uh, women tend to be a lot more conservative because they're not that risk risky in terms of their expectations, whereas males tend to be a little bit more risk averse and would like to stretch themselves into the boundaries of those double-digit returns or those higher returns in the future. But it's not necessarily the case. Um, because you are wanting bit more risk so that you can get more money, doesn't come without the understanding that you can also lose capital along the way. Mm. Uh, a question, not quite about relationships, but a grandmother looking to make a plan for their granddaughter. Uh, Mary mm-hmm. says, Paul, my daughter's about to give birth. I'd like to set up an education fund for the baby when she's born. What would you recommend? And I mean, we've spoken a few times about sure. some of the best ways to save uh, for a child's sure. education. Um, mm-hmm. But Mary looking for a little bit of advice. Well, Mary, you know, you don't have to have a product. You know, a lot of service providers wrap them around products and call them things like education plans and child provision plans. You know, I I would start out with just building up some cash in the meantime. You know, take out a money market account and build and set aside some money for the, for your newborn. Um, and then, Explore the the you know the ability to save more in the future, and set up perhaps a a, a, a tax free savings account, which is a no brainer for most of us, in the context of all the benefits that it has. And you can actually open up a tax free savings account um, later on. You don't have to do it straight away, but um, at one stage have a lot of money put into that particular account because you can then. Um, enjoy the benefits of no tax being um, taken away from you in terms of the performance, the yields are all exempt from tax. So you get full value from your returns. And it's a little restrictive. And that's why I say I like the money market account in the the beginning, just to sort of navigate and see what other things that you can provide for that child, you know, whilst uh, it's growing up. So it's a combination of cash and and and, and a tax-free savings account that I think would be the ideal blend along the way. And then, you know, as the child is getting bigger and you've got more uh, uh, sort of behind you in terms of how much you've saved, you could probably then extend it into some balanced funds and unit trusts and things like that. But always be mindful of liquidity, access to that money should should you want to make a provision for education and other child's, child needs that might come along the way. Paul, as always, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Gugu. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thank you very much. You too. That's our certified financial planner, Paul Rulofsir.